0: Take out your Bible, if you would, and open to Ephesians chapter 2. We have three verses that we're going to look at today. Ephesians 2, cha- uh, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. Now, verses 8 and 9 are two of the most familiar verses in all the Bible. Maybe second only to John three sixteen. And verse 10 is, is a verse that's typically not taught alongside verses 8 and 9. V- verse 10... Is is more like John 3.17. Anybody know what John 3.17 says? Good, I don't either. I have no idea what John 3.17 says. But I'm grateful here today that these three verses are are taken together, eight, nine, and ten, in the order that that Paul wrote them, because as beautiful and powerful as, as the familiarity of verses eight and nine really are. Can I tell you what verse I enjoyed studying the most this week? It was verse ten. I can't wait for us to look at verse 10. And, and it's partly because I believe that Paul makes a very unique connection between 8 and 9 and 10. It's a connection that he makes in the text. In fact, I think this short paragraph that Paul writes all together, it's its connected for a reason, not meant to be separated. And, and, and I think part of it is this. It's you know, when we look at verses eight and nine, we'll see this just in, in a minute. This is a general sense for the framework of the text, but in verses eight and nine, it's all about how, how we are saved. Verse 10 is about why, why we are saved. So we take it all together. This is the how and the why of salvation. And this is what gets me so excited about it. You know, it's obvious here, we've been in chapter two for three weeks. It's obvious here that Paul, wants us to know salvation personally, intimately. Obviously, he wants us to know that dead people are made alive in Christ. He wants us to know God's love and God's grace. He wants us to to know all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. He wants us to know salvation for sure, but that's not the end. I'd say it this way, your salvation is not the end. It's more than that. It's more glorious than that. You were saved for a purpose. Back in December, I started thinking about what I wanted for our staff team this year, January to December. So this past December, I was thinking about what what, what is it that we want for our staff team this year? And, and my answer to that question is not, not too different from what we want for the whole church. It, it would be that our staff and whatever you, ministry area they work in, that they would gain confidence in the gospel, gain confidence in the way that the gospel has changed them, gain confidence in in the way that they communicate that gospel in the context of their own unique story. It would be that they would gain confidence in their ability to help others understand the gospel and grow in similar ways. It would just be that we would be a faithful presence, faithful to make disciples, Wherever God has us, just one person at a time, that would be my hope is that we would gain confidence in that. And, and then the hope for the whole body would be simply that, that as that change, that life change takes place in us, a whole large group of us at, at fellowship, that that would spread and multiply across our community. That as God changes our lives, those lives would change others over time, one-on-one, slow in relationship, but such that over time it would transform our whole community, change our whole city. Greater Nashville would be different because of the work that God does in and through us. And so that, that was our heart. And, and if that would be true for the body, that's, that's where we're going in this season, then Certainly that begins with us as an elder team and a staff can't lead anywhere that we're not willing to go ourselves. And so we began a very intentional process with the elders about 18 months ago that we've mentioned over time. And we, we began a very intentional process with our staff in January, three months ago. The first thing that we did as a staff team was we read this book. I had us read this book called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. Phenomenal book. It is so simple. You could read it in an hour, but it talks about what the gospel really is and what it isn't, and that gets confused in our culture today. So we read it, and we came back in February, our big staff meeting all together in February, and we talked about it, what resonated with us. We talked about language that might be helpful in our culture today. And then in that staff meeting, we, we, we talked about, I had Michael share a little bit about how we might connect the gospel to our own story. And so the the exercise, the homework that I gave our staff in February was was to go and write your story, your story of trust in Christ, who you were before Christ, how you trusted Christ, what's changed in you since Christ, but make sure you communicate the clear gospel in the context of that story. And so this week, Wednesday, we got back together, all of us as a staff team, and the exercise was simply to pair off and share your story with one other person. Now, I, I did it because I wanted us to gain confidence in our story, and our ability to share our story. What blew me away was what happened in the room. The energy went through the roof. Share your story of how God's changed you. With someone else who has a similar story, the, the noise, I, I don't, I'm not sure in 15 years we've ever had a staff meeting that felt quite like this one. My God's grace, it was unbelievable. Never would have expected that. I... I heard James Mefford's story. James is on our staff. He's been on our staff for six and a half years. He's a leader in our buildings and grounds department. James, I don't have to tell him the whole whole story here, but James told me his story about who he was before Christ. 20 years, totally rejected God. Told me his story about the isolation, loneliness he began to felt, the void he felt in his own life, and how he trusted Christ with the woman that he would eventually marry. How cool is that? It's where he trusted Christ. And then how he's been transformed since, how he's been transformed since. His kids have been transformed since. In fact, right now at Franklin campus, one of his daughters and her husband are being baptized, changed. I mean, it's unbelievable that his story, now, I couldn't stop thinking about it. All, all week, I, just, every, I wake up and think about James, James's story. And here's what's cool. You know, when James shared his story with me and I shared my story with him, so, something shifted. We shifted from how we were saved, certainly what's true about my relationship with Christ, we we shifted from how we were saved to why we were saved. Shifted from who I am in Christ to why I am who I am in Christ. And it's that purpose that I think makes this often mundane, sometimes painful, routinely difficult life worth living. I really do. So let's look at the text. I'm gonna look at it in two parts. We'll look at eight and nine together and then we'll look at verse 10. So pick it up with me in chapter two, verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. How are you saved? Paul answers the question with two prepositional phrases, doesn't he? You're saved by grace and through faith. Now, now the first part of that, by grace, is something that Paul has just said in verse five. Look at verse five. Paul says, even when we were dead, dead face down on the ocean floor, dead, dead in our sins, nothing we could do about it. We were what? Made alive together with Christ. It's by God's grace that you have been saved. So how is it? That a person who is spiritually dead simply means separated from God. How is it that a person who is dead in his or her sin, made alive, restored to relationship with God? How is it? By grace. By the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God in the face of deserved Wrath. Well, how do we know we're under God's wrath as sinners who are spiritually dead? Chapter two, verse three, look back at that for just a minute. What does Paul call us? End of the verse, by nature, children of wrath. We're all children of wrath, subject to the wrath of a perfect and holy and righteous God. But that is not the end of the story. Here's where grace comes in. But God, motivated by His grace, treats us way, 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 way better than we deserve. He saves us from death. How does He do that? He saves us from death by sending His own Son, who pays the penalty on our behalf, the penalty for our sin who satisfies the wrath of a just God, has to satisfy the wrath of a just God or God would not be just. We do not want an unjust God. Jesus Christ pays that price. How? By dying in our place. That's grace. You're saved by that grace through faith. Well, what is faith? Faith is all about trust. It's about placing your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, trusting that his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is sufficient for you to be restored in relationship with God. Faith is not just knowledge. It's not just that I know about Jesus, that I grew up in the church, that that I know what Jesus did. That's not faith. Faith is fully placing my life, my hope, my future in his hands. Lloyd illustrated this uh, three weeks ago with, with a chair. It's it's one thing to look at a chair and know that it's a chair. I can see the chair right next to my wife down here. And I, I know that it's a, a chair. It's, it's one thing to have knowledge that that is a chair. And it's important. It's part of it. Uh, it's important to know that that's a chair. Don't want to sit on a hot stove thinking that it's a chair, right? We, we want to know that it's a chair, but that's not faith. Faith is knowledge and Trust faith, remember this, Lloyd did this. Faith is the moment that I actually step up onto that chair and trust that it will hold me. Faith in Jesus Christ trusting that Jesus Christ is sufficient, his death is sufficient to restore me to relationship with God in spite of my sin, okay so salvation is by grace, salvation is through faith, and then notice immediately here that Paul clarifies with two things that it is not. It's not of yourselves and it's not a result of your works. The word that in verse 8, do you see it there? And that, not of yourselves. People get confused about that word. Is that that referring to faith? Is that referring to grace? Is that referring to something else? Uh, The sentence structure in the original Greek, it, it helps us here to see that that is is actually referring to the whole sentence. It refers to to salvation as a whole, both grace and faith. So here's what Paul's saying to us as we look at this sentence. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, salvation is a free gift from God made available to you by God through the work of God the son, okay? Unless you get confused, it has very little almost nothing to do with you. Only that you are the recipient of that gift. See, only that you are the recipient of his grace. For sure, it doesn't have anything to do with your works. Anything any attempt that you make to try to gain God's favor or earn some relationship with him. No, no. in fact, it's just the opposite of that. It's accepting the work of another on your behalf. And trusting in anything else will not only cheapen God's grace, it will actually keep you from it. In fact, the only way to fully embrace God's grace in your own life is to stop trying to prove that you don't need it, right? Stop working for it. Stop trusting in yourself and place that trust fully stand on the person of Jesus Christ. It's obvious why these verses are familiar to many of us. They are clear and compelling and powerful. They are powerful words of hope. But this paragraph that Paul writes, it doesn't end there. Paul finishes the paragraph and he says something in verse 10 that I find just really interesting. Look at verse 10 with me, if you would. It says this, Paul says, For we, you and I, those who believe in Jesus Christ, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in, in them, The word workmanship, that is the Greek word poema. It's the word from which we get the word poem. Our salvation is his, the father's workmanship. We are a work of art. We are his greatest masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Don't think created like original creation, Adam and Eve, physical creation. Think more recreation. We are a new creation because of our trust in Christ and we are a new creation for, here's the why, for what? For good works. Here's what's interesting to me. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Salvation not as a result of works. Verse 10. Salvation will result in good works. See, See the juxtaposition here? This is the connection. We know this our works will never ever 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 lead us to salvation we know that to be true but genuine salvation will always will for sure will necessarily lead to good works i, I can't get this contrast out of my head that everything that we do before christ reeks of sin everything that comes out of us is dead no spiritual good in us, no possible way to please God. Trust Christ, and the very thing that you were the worst at becomes the thing that you were recreated for. So transformed from the inside that now what comes out of us is not death, but life. The good works that come out of us now are the things that please God most on this planet so much so that he actually planned these things for you, each one of you uniquely and individually, long before you were ever born. That's incredible to me. Look at this phrase in verse 10. It says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See that? I want you to think about that just for a minute. These are good works. Certainly God has prepared for you but also that God has prepared you for. You see that in, in the verse? Prepared for you beforehand. Can okay, we get that. He's prepared these works for us, but also prepared you for so that, what does it say? So that you may walk in them. Here's, here's a question for us this morning. Would God prepare for us works, good works that we couldn't do? Would God do that? That would make him a liar, wouldn't it? God, would, would he, if we are in fact saved for good works that he prepared beforehand that we couldn't do, if that were the case, wouldn't that make the purpose for salvation irrelevant? Wouldn't that make the why meaningless? Here's my point. When when God prepares works for us and he prepares us for those works, he addresses our greatest fears head on. Well, What if I don't know what to say? What if somebody asks me something that I can't answer? What if I don't know what to do? What what if I get in over my head? According to Ephesians 2.10, that can't happen. Can't. Not, Not if you're doing the good works that God prepared for you and that God prepared you for. We may feel that way in moments. We have fear, confidence. I'm not sure what to do. We we may feel that, but it doesn't make it true. Whatever God has for you, he has already begun preparing you for. You were saved for that purpose. Well, Bill, what are these good works? What does it mean, good works? This is where it gets really fun generally speaking, they are anything that points people to God. Okay, just start there. Generally speaking, anything that points people to God, Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Anything that points people to God, to his love, to his grace. But I mentioned this a moment ago, that they are also something that is unique to you, specially designed for you. Your unique wiring, your unique contribution to God's kingdom. Get this, wherever you are right now, God has you positioned perfectly for his good works right now, in this next hour, today at your house, work tomorrow, where you hang out with friends, wherever you serve. Already, right now, God has good works prepared uniquely for you. So often we think, yeah, okay, I'm a believer now. i got to do good works. Okay, that must mean that i got to become a missionary and go to some jungle somewhere. No. That must mean that i got to become like Billy Graham and share Christ with everything that has legs, male, female, or animal. I, I'm going to have to share Christ. No. No. Good works, God prepared beforehand, are about being a faithful presence as you go, as you go through life as you go through your day. Good works are engaging your kids such a way that demonstrates God's love for you. Good works are a blanket for the guy that's sleeping on a cardboard box under the bridge because God had that level of compassion for you. Good works are showing up at a person's house who's in great pain, tragedy. You don't have any idea what to say. There's nothing to say, but you show up. You know why? because you believe God showed up in your own life. See, coming to faith is a process. It it happens a step at a time, and and no one begins in neutral. We're all dead in our sin, right? We all begin over here in the negative somewhere. Coming to faith in Christ is like going from um, a minus 100 to zero to neutral over time to to a positive 100. That's what it's like. We don't start at neutral. And the people that God invites into our lives, the people that God would have us engage with with good works, those people are all over the spectrum. Some people are like a negative 93. Some, Some are minus 60, some are one, some are nine, some are 99. Once in a while, we are actually there in a moment where someone trusts Christ. That's the place God puts us. But most of the time, it's back here. You know what good works look like often? Helping somebody go from a minus 90 to a minus 89. That's what it looks like. So often. It's, it's saying thank you to the sonic waitress, giving her a nice tip when she's been mistreated all day. You pull out and she notices the Igbox sticker on the back of your car. <laughs> she noticed the Bible between the seats. She, what? I wonder why that person treated me different. Minus 90. Minus 89, maybe you're person number 10 in someone's 200-person journey to Christ. So often what it looks like, God, see, God is always at work, all around us. And when we begin to grow in our relationship with God, when we begin to grow in him, what changes in us is our awareness of it. Changes in us is our sensitivity to where God is at work. We, we become mindful about where God is at work all around us. We become aware of things that we never even noticed before. Aware of the needs of them, hurts, questions, confusion all around us. Aware of the people that God's placing right into our lives. And, and then we start to see those people Everywhere even in the mundane, even in the menial, everyday kinds of things. I think it was Billy Graham who said, you know what good, good works God has for you? Take a piece of chalk, draw a three foot circle around you and whoever steps into that circle, that's the good work for today. I think he's exactly right. That's what it looks like for you and me to live out the very purpose that God has called us to. I've been thinking about this in my own life, places where I I didn't see opportunities, don't have eyes to see opportunities that God's putting right in front of me. Can I I tell you the place I I think God's provided me the most opportunities over the last couple of years and the place where I've missed the most opportunities over the last couple of years? It's on the golf course. That's why I play golf every day. That's it. Not true. I play every other day. That's the end of the No, I think it's there. Here's here's why. When I go to the golf course, I I am typically, most often, I'm head down, focused. I'm going to practice, get ready for a tournament. I'm going to hit balls. I'm going to putt. It's like the last thing on my mind is that I might be there for a reason. I'm going on a Sunday afternoon after teaching all day. I'm not not even thinking about it. I'm I'm just going to do my thing. I, I don't think that's why God has me there. I think God has me there for good works. In fact, I'm certain of it. I cannot tell you how many times in the last two years someone has interrupted me while I'm putting. Can't t- it's uncanny. I'm talking like every three minutes on some days. It's unbelievable. You know what they want to talk about? God. Life, pain, hurt, questions, relationships, that's what they want to talk about. Some that have known me for a long time, some that have just gotten to know me, lots that don't even know I'm a pastor. It's just the truth. I've had people ask me questions about difficult relationships, ask me to pray for their kids. Uh, I've had questions about suffering, pain, heaven, hell, life, death, afterlife. Lots of questions about the Bible, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Lots of questions about the gospel. People that say, man, can I just get together with you? I have some questions about the Bible. You wanna know what I'm thinking? man, I'm just trying to hit a few putts here. That's the honest truth. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Tell me this in the softball. I've had guys walk up to me and go, hey, listen, I don't know you very well, but can you tell me what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Verbatim, exact words. Are you serious, Lord? Like, I'm trying to hit some shots. Like, okay, all right, I'll tell you about Christ. Oh, it's unbelievable. Last year, I was at, down here at Legends, and um. I ran over there. I was getting ready to play on Friday afternoon with some buddies of mine and had like 15 minutes. I got there like 15 minutes before we were gonna tee off. So I ran to the range. I hit like five nine irons. I ran up to the putting green. I'm putting for five or six minutes. I'm going to the first tee. Can I tell you how many people stopped me in 15 minutes and asked if they could get together with me to talk about something related to life, death, or relationship with God? 15 minutes, six, six that doesn't have anything to do with me. Remember, I'm head down. I'm not looking for that. I don't go to the golf course thinking, I wonder what good works God has for me today. I don't go there thinking that. But, but I know he does. You know how I know? He puts them right in front of me. He interrupts me. Causes me to stop and think just for a moment. I can, I can tell you that I've missed gobs of opportunities, but I can tell you this now starting to look at it different starting to look for those opportunities and i'm starting to see them everywhere all around me see god is at work all around you and he saved you just so that you could join him in it there's a young woman in our body her name is katie katie's been here for three years I just have met her in the last month. She, um, she serves at this door right out here in the arcade as a greeter in, in the third service on Sunday mornings. Been doing that for, for all three of those years. Katie, before she moved here, she was in China for six years. She learned the Chinese language. She actually learned many dialects of the Chinese language. And one morning in January, just a couple of months ago, she she was standing at this door greeting in the third service, and there was a young Asian couple that was walking through the door. And Katie noticed that this young woman was carrying a Chinese-English Bible. It was the exact same Chinese-English Bible that Katie was carrying that day. And she greeted them in Chinese, a good work that God had for Katie to do that certainly God prepared Katie to do beforehand. And this young woman named Scylla was so moved by Katie's initiation, by her kindness, that they developed a relationship, they developed a conversation, and Silla told Katie about her, her, her relationship with God, that she had just trusted Christ in China within the last year, and she was here on a work visa. And she told Katie that she wanted to be baptized she made fellowship her home and she wanted to be baptized here. Katie encouraged her to come share her story with us. And then in the last two months, Katie's been helping Scylla with her English so that she could tell her story. Good work. God prepared for Katie. God prepared Katie for, yeah, he did. And so today, thanks in large part to Katie's willingness to have eyes to see what God was just Stepping right into her three-foot circle, we get to hear Scylla's incredible story. From her time as a high-ranking executive in China just a little bit over a year ago, where she was the head of television programming for the largest television station in all of China. Loneliness and emptiness she felt as the Chinese government began to push an agenda on kids, her resistance to that to meeting some folks in her office, to trust in Christ, to after the video last night, stepping right out here on this stage to be baptized. And I I want you to see her story, and then we're going to show you a little part of her baptism. This is Scylla's incredible story.
1: Working at CCTV, China Central Television, you know, the biggest TV station in China, for almost 10 years. At first, uh, I feel very proud of my job. I have so many ideas and want to make uh, the programs that children can be creative and help them study cheerfully. But I realized it's really hard. I can you know I can't do this. I feel very uh, depressed, and I lost at that moment. I felt uh, more and more lonely and puzzled. So many people in my life, they they knew God. Even my mom, you know. Uh, I thought uh, if this uh, Christ, can make my mom happy. I think it's okay. But I don't. I didn't see anything. Um, but until now, I realized God really want to, how to say accept me, even when I was a child. But um, they all tell me I should believe in Communist Party. I should believe uh, believe there's no God in the world. But I really didn't want to let my life like this kind of just to work hard and just to make money, just to, uh, try to get some power. Some of my friends, and they are they are the coworkers of my you know my TV station, and um, we talk about God. I'm really surprised why those people, they all talk about God and they all look so nice and look so cheerful and look so confident. I don't know why, I just, you know, I have so many questions. You know, we we four girls uh, got together and we have a happy, very, very happy supper and Almost ate uh, until the middle night, and Lee suggested, "How about, uh, Silla? How about you decided now to accept God? Because I believe you really want to know God and really accept God in heart, in your heart. So, how about let's uh, make a decision? Made a decision now. I'm really, I was, I was shocked at that time. While just in the restaurant, <laughs> it's okay. So we four girls, you know, um, ho- ho- hold each other and sh- uh, hold their hand, and they all pray for me. And I, I just kept crying. Uh, I told her I, I really want to have a happiness life. <sighs> it's the first time I can feel... Because God knew me. (laughs) I felt I was released. I believe Jesus is Son of God. I believe Jesus died for our sins. I put my faith in God. I am saved.
0: family is here. Her husband is right down here and their baby. Why don't you come over here where you can see her face. I want you to come over here. So you want to sit down. You can sit down right there. This is uh, Katie. Katie, I want you to come here for a minute. I want y'all to meet Katie. (laughs) Um, Yeah, go ahead and sit right down on that towel right there. Um, One part of the story that I think is just God's faithfulness certainly his grace is that um Scylla and her husband have been trying to have a baby for a long time they've not been able to and uh one week this doesn't always happen this way if you trust Christ but one week after she trusted Christ she conceived they had a baby just how many months ago how many months ago was it four months ago and um She is so grateful for God's faithfulness in her life. I got to sit with her and Katie when we filmed that video with Ryan. And um, it was incredible to see the authenticity, the sincerity. You could see it in a video, certainly. See God at work in her life, answering her prayers, things that she knows already about faith that just only God could help her understand. And so it is a great, great privilege tonight for... Me to baptize my sister, and I baptize you, Scylla. <laughs> I baptize you, my sister. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grab your nose right here. You are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Last night, um, when after Scylla bowed, she um, she asked me for the mic. People responded the way you did, and of course, with her in the room. It was just standing ovation for like. I don't know, an hour, I'm not sure, it's a long time. And um, she asked me for the mic after that and, and, and she said, I, I'd like to say something to my husband who's standing right down here. She said in China, broken English, she said, in China, um, it's kind of a cultural thing, you just, you just don't tell someone that you love them. And So for 12 years we've been married, I've never told my husband I love him and I just thought now, God, I can't even repeat it. I just thought now might be that moment. And so I just want you to know that I really love you. And he looked at her and he said, and I love you too. And um, he, he doesn't know Christ. He hasn't trusted Christ, but he's supported her every step along the way in her own journey. It was an incredible moment. You know, anytime that someone comes to faith in Christ, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God's grace, faithfulness. Each one of our stories uniquely different. Each one of our stories has people like Katie that stepped into them at some point along the way. And we're going to conclude our service by celebrating with two others that are coming tonight to be baptized that are coming to make a public profession of an inward reality. They've already trusted Christ. It's not salvation, but they want to be publicly identified with Jesus Christ. And So, I want to introduce them to you. The first is uh, Lexi Smith. She's coming out with her parents, Randall and Sonia. Uh, Lexi is an eighth grader. And step right up in here, Lexi. Just put your feet right down there. There you go. Perfect. Sit down on that towel. That's perfect. She's an eighth grader here in Brentwood. And um, she and her family have been around fellowship uh, for the last uh, six months or so. And they got connected because. Uh, Lexi actually got connected here in in student ministries. She has some friends here and has really been growing here. And I want her to share with us today uh, why she's here to be baptized. So look out there and I'll hold the mic for you. Because I'm a follower of Christ and I'm ready to take the next step in my journey with him. Yeah. And is it true, Lexi, that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. You believe that he died and was buried and raised and that is sufficient for your sin? Yes. Yes. Well, it's, it's our privilege, and um, I'm going to let your dad just uh, say a word to you, but it is our privilege tonight for your dad, Randall, and I to, to baptize you, but I want him to uh, say a word to you before we do.
2: Lexi, we're just proud of you, and it's, as a father, it's a great privilege to get to experience what it was like when God said this. I'm well pleased, and we're just excited for you, and you have a contagious spirit, and we know if you'll just don't put it under a bushel, let it shine.
0: It was not long ago that Randall was baptized with his older daughter. And now he's uh, standing here with me as a part of this significant moment with, with Lexi. And so Lexi, it's our privilege to baptize you as our sister. And Christ will spend eternity together. What a great joy that will be. And we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Congratulations, Texas. Great job. Great job. Thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, you're welcome, Randall. Thanks for being a part of it. Yeah. (laughs) The next is a young man named Parker Miles. He's coming out with his uh, parents, Josh and Candace. Come on out here, Parker. How you doing, dude? You all right? Okay. Here, step up on this step. Step right down on that. There you go. You got it? Nice. Stretch. This is a pretty unique kid. I met him uh, before the service, and, and I'm going to let him share with you what he shared with me about his, his faith. But then I want his dad to tell a little bit of his, his story. Uh, the short of it is is that um, Parker physically shouldn't be sitting here today. But he is, and he is now a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so, Parker, is it uh, true that you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Yes. You've put your faith in him. Yes. And you believe that he died, he was buried, and he was resurrection, and that was sufficient to gain you relationship with God. Yes. Well, it's your dad's and my privilege to share this moment with you and want your dad to tell just a little bit of your story
2: well um i'm going to tell the cliff notes version of this and it's a, a quick two-part story um but when parker was 14 months old oh, that I'm just... when parker was 14 months old um we found ourselves in a hospital in st louis with the doctors telling us that he had about three or four days to live unless he got a liver transplant and through the grace of god and through a miracle um we, we, we were saying our prayers and I, I was having a hard time with, with prayer because I didn't want another child to have to die for my son to live. But a friend of mine reminded me, he said, no, you big dummy, <laughs> you're praying that in a terrible time in somebody's life that they make the decision to donate the organ so that others can live. Yeah. So that was my prayer from then on. And we had the privilege of meeting the, uh, well, we, we ended up getting a liver Uh, just in time and obviously Parker's has been doing great but we got to meet the donor family and um, turns out um, he was in Nashville here doing some business and he said look Josh come with me we're going to go to to Sunday church Uh, you got to meet this guy he's a great guy Um, you may know him his name's Michael Easley he was the president um, of Moody's. And I said, well, that's the church we go to. So he came to church wait, wait, with Wait, somebody
0: liked Michael?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay,
0: I'm just, sorry. I was, My, yeah.
2: he,
0: <laughs> okay, I'm with you now. I'm tracking, yeah.
2: He's going to use this against you. <laughs> uh, for but sure. he, he said, I've been listening to this guy for years and years, and I just got to go see him since I'm in Nashville. And obviously, uh, it was just a, just a God thing that, you know, we had been coming to see Mike and a piece of his daughter that um, had saved Parker's life yeah. had been with Michael. It's so.
0: incredible the Lord's provision, his faithfulness to us. Very real sense, young woman who was able to give of her body that that Parker might live. Certainly a savior who gave of his body, his blood, that Parker could live spiritually for eternity with him. And so it's my, my privilege, Parker, to get to baptize you with your dad. And I do it, you're my brother, it's been eternity together. And I do it in the name of the Father in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Congratulations, Parker. Great job. job. You're welcome, thanks, man. want you to stand, everybody stand. We're gonna sing our benediction. What an incredible privilege it is to worship the God who saved each one of us. You know, we think about our own stories. Every single one of us stepped into somebody's circle along the way. They were a word of encouragement. They were a listening ear. They offered some point of truth in our lives. And we get to worship that God who allowed that to happen for us. And we get to worship the God who then in turn would take us, and use us in the same way to you lift your voices with us together.